Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi guys, welcome to Missed Apex iRacing, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We're the podcast for the everyday iRacer, looking at iRacing from a hobbyist point of view, making you wiser, happier and faster. My aim here is to bring you experts that you can quiz and ask your questions to make you a better iRacer. And occasionally we'll gather a panel of our podcast sim racing friends to discuss what we've been up to and discuss as we attack the official series in what we call the swarm you can come and join us but more details on that later my expert for today is bradley philpott hello bradley hi spanners good afternoon we should start off by introducing your credentials obviously you're a fast sim racer but you do some real life racing you're a vln nordschleifer champion for one thing i sure am yeah, I've done quite a bit of racing uh, in the UK and abroad, um, as listeners to, to the Missed Apex podcast will know. And I'm a very keen sim racer and very predominantly on iRacing. All right. Yeah, I think we, we do all concentrate on iRacing. We don't flip between the sims. You don't try any of the others at the moment. No. Um, and I have obviously in the past, I've, I've driven all of the major sims and some of the higher end games but iRacing is what I've settled on I'm sure we'll we'll touch upon the reasons later but from from my point of view it's because of how organized the structure is how yeah. good the community is and how it's really uh, like a sport in its own right with very organized leagues and racing I definitely feel like I can I can find my level very quickly and I I, I can get into a series and I'll be racing I'll recognize the names but if I take a, a leap forward in ability and rating I'll go into a higher split and a higher tier. So, for example, with the Formula Renault 2.0, I got to a place where I was kind of in the first or second split, and I really felt like I was almost having a career climbing up that league. And then since we've moved to F3, I'm terrible, and I'm now like down in the, the bottom third. And it's exactly that. It's this kind of feeling of having an actual career in this sim racing world, um, which is something that iRacing does brilliantly. Now, you've said a technical word already, which is split. So some people might not even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, look, it'll be difficult to to judge where to aim uh, these, podca- uh, these questions and this podcast from a technical knowledge point of view. So I think we'll just do a broad church. It'll be based on a lot of listener questions. So sometimes the listener questions will be, how do I set up the diff on the right rear for this corner or something? And sometimes it will be as simple as, you know, what is a split? So yeah, a, a quick uh, recap on splits is fine. The split is basically the which race you're in. And the word split is because um, if you have lots of drivers signed up for a race and it's too many to fit on that track for one race, it will split you into two concurrent races or more, two or more. Um, so that you'll be racing against people similar to your own ability. So split one is always the hardest, the, the fastest with the drivers with the highest rating. Ah, oh, split one. I remember split one. Haven't done split one for quite a while. Uh, but uh, unlike other sort of online uh, video games, and I'll be careful not to refer to iRacing as a game, 
it's a sim. I understand that. Um, it's not just a case of filling up a lobby as and when people join. You know, I love the fact that there's a one fifteen race, and we all get on at the same time. A bunch of us, um, all of us who do Miss Apex podcast, as well as a bunch of our listeners, we all jump on as part of the swarm, and we know we can join at nine fifteen, and then we get sp- uh, spread into those splits. And you know, maybe you'll have four or five teammates. Um, but it's it's that real community aspect that we're all doing it together that I, that I absolutely love. I'm sure other sims do it, but iRacing, for me, seems to nail that aspect. Yeah, fully agree. And even when it's not with the Missed Apex crew and you're doing a, a, a series regularly, you get to know those drivers that do it pretty regularly. And, you know, you get to know who you're racing against and it just feels way more like real life. Yeah, man. And like, there's this one driver at the moment who has taken me out twice in a row and I know to avoid him now. So like he just he punted into the back of me at Nürburgring in the F3s. And I was like, that's a little bit rash. He did exactly the same thing when I was actually trying to let him by. I was, I was, um, I was being lapped as I came out of the pits. And I was like, right, I know that guy. He hit me last time. So I like really pulled over to the side, uh, went deep into the corner so he could come up the inside. Nope, just careered straight into me. So I now know to avoid him. It's like a club. Like I know that guy from that league, like Saturday League Football. Yeah, that guy's a hacker. It helps you helps you pick your battles as well. Even when you're racing at the front with fast guys, you you get to know who's going to be a bit more aggressive in a very similar way to to racing in the real world. Formula One, for example, certain drivers will be treated differently by other drivers based on their history. So that's something that iRacing does really well, this kind of community aspect that builds up. Okay, so I think we'll split these shows into into roughly into half. Um, one is a, a general iRacing topic and one will be from a listener question as well. So we've got a question from... Uh, Sam Watley. Uh, obviously, this is the first show, so we've dug into our existing Mist Apex Formula One audience for these questions. Sam Watley has a question for you. I also want to start off by talking a little bit about understeer. Did you watch my boy having his first crack at some street stocks uh, on iRacing? I did a live stream video of it, and he, he did all right. Yes, he did really well. Uh, and I actually listened to most of it. I watched the first few minutes, and then I, I had it on as an audio um, clip in my car for 17 minutes so I drove home from work right so in that audio you would have heard me trying to kind of be his coach a little bit and I'm not a good driver coach but one of the first things you taught me um, when driving sims was how to deal with understeer and now my boy he's 10 and he was um, predominantly we do uh, uh, road courses but my boy he loves the ovals but I make him do some single seater road courses to earn doing a street stock race so i said to him right it's like vegetables so for me the single seater road course is vegetables he wants the pudding of the street stocks so he's doing this street stock race and um when he finds that he can't go down to the apron so make the apex essentially of the oval he is then turning more generating understeer finding himself in trouble realizing the corner's coming to an end pins it still with steering lock and the back end doesn't go out on those street stocks um but what it does do is understeer horribly and so he's not getting any benefit from continuing to turn so in that audio you'd have heard me constantly going all right mate open up the steering come on boy open the steering to make the tires work again yeah i actually have to say you were doing a very good job of coaching him you were being very positive and (laughs) and generally picking on the good things rather than just focusing on the bad things and praising him when he did the good things better so that's really good um so you've definitely learned well there but understeer is a topic that i could actually talk about for probably half an hour or more i'll try not to well you got 10 10 minutes not 
<laughs> I can actually hear the understeer because one of the things you get in iRacing, which you can actually enhance if you want to just by turning up that specific channel in the volume, is the tyre squeal or scrub. Right. And I could hear as he approached the corners and was entering them that increased scrub. Um, and that was obviously in conjunction with you telling him to run wider or, or open the steering. Um, I, I will, I'll go into, I'll dive into the understeer thing right now. Basically, try and think of understeer as you are going too fast for the amount of steering lock you've requested. So there's, uh, that's, that's it, as a fundamental level, we can actually go deeper or more surface level as a description, but that's, the, that's my working definition. But, and then the instinctive solution is, well, uh, I, I, I'm turning and I'm not getting to that apex. The initial temptation is, well, then turn more to get to the apex. Yeah, we're used to, in most cars, certainly on the road, I know your, your lad, Treeface, doesn't drive on the road, but most people, their main experience of driving a car, turning a steering wheel is on the road. And your, the steering wheel is, is a tool you use to turn the vehicle. And so it's natural that when the car isn't turning as much as you want it to, to think, I need to turn more. But all that you're doing is now definitely going too fast for the amount of steering lock you've requested. You've made it worse. So yeah, you've just made it worse. You, you've the car couldn't cope with the amount of lock that you already applied. So applying more lock, you're just cementing that. So the first thing to do really uh, to, to make this as simple as possible is to understand how you should recognize when the car is understeering. So you can recognize it as early as possible and put the correct fix into practice as early as possible. So what I'm going to do is now zoom in to the initial moment of understeer, what's happening and what you should sense to realize that. Okay, and let's just make a base assumption uh, because there's a, v- a variety of, of of setups and kits out there. Let's say at a minimum, someone is driving with something like a Logitech G27 where there is at least some feedback. So we're, we're going to be using the force feedback a lot um, as the, you know, we don't have our bum in the seat to use as, as you would in a go-kart. So let's just make that base assumption that people are using at least a uh, a force feedback wheel clamped to a desk and they'll be able to get that feeling from the wheel. Yeah. The only two things that we require here, we don't require thousands of pounds worth of, of steering kit and that kind of thing. All you need is a force feedback wheel and a screen. And these things that I'm now going to say will apply and you'll be able to, to recognize the problem and rectify it. So the way that you should, first of all, sense that there is a problem here and that problem is understeer is that your increase in steering angle is having less of an effect on the actual rotation of the car. Now, the thing I'm talking about now is happening in a split second. This realization, we're talking about a couple of degrees of steering lock and you realizing this very quickly. So although I'm taking some time to talk about this and we're zooming in on the problem, expanding the resolution of this, this is just to make sure everyone understands the order in which these things happen. So first thing is you're turning the wheel more and it's actually not turning the car anymore. So that's your first hint that, there is understeer. And you get that kind of feeling of sliding away from the apex. The apex is moving towards the right of the screen because you, you should be making it and gobbling into it, but it's not happening. Yeah, up until this point, as you've turned into the corner, the car has done what you told it to. You've turned left, for example, on this oval you guys were driving on. You've turned left. The car has turned left. And the more you turn the wheel, the more it turns left. But there'll, be, there'll come a crucial point where you turn even more and it stops having that effect. The car stops turning as much left as you're telling it to. So at that moment, you've got a couple of choices. You're basically now scrubbing the front tires. You can either straighten the steering wheel a little bit or or a lot because that will allow the front tires to rotate more and they'll do what you tell them to more. 
But the problem is the corner probably hasn't got any less tight. So if you've <laughs> turned in and you needed a particular amount of steering lock up until the point where it started to have less of a response, you don't generally have an option of completely reducing the steering lock, you know, straightening the wheel almost straight and letting the tyres rotate because the corner is still there. You're still in the corner. Well, and the this wall is, is still there. <laughs> There's a wall to the right-hand side. Yeah, now. exactly. Exactly. So if you were to do that, you're just going to run wide anyway. So it doesn't matter whether it's understeer, you're just going to run wide by telling the car to run wide. So that isn't really an option in this situation. So the only other thing that is at your disposal is to reduce the speed. So you're no longer going too fast for the amount of steering lock you've asked for. You're now going the correct speed for the amount of steering lock you've asked for, which means the front tires are rotating at the speed the car is actually going. What tends to happen as you're understeering is the car is, say, traveling at 100 miles per hour. And as the front tires stop rotating in sync with the car, because you've turned the wheel too far, it, they'll slow down. So they're turning at a lower rate than the rest of the car. And so the speed is out of sync between what your tires are actually rotating at and yeah. the speed the car's going. You need All to match right. them up to allow the rotation. Okay. So let's try and sort of put that in terms that even I could understand. Uh, so w- what's our choices as, as I'm basically about to miss the apex? I've recognized that it's understeering. Um, so if I'm, if I'm on the brakes, I can brake more. Or if I'm not lifting already, make sure I've got no power applied. Yeah, so the longer you've allowed this moment of understeer to continue, because this whole thing I've just spoken about there might have taken a tenth of a second. If it's taken a second for you to realise this, your actions in response to it will have to be more drastic. The longer it takes you to recognise that there was a problem, the more drastic your fix is going to have to be. So if you've let the car understeer quite wide and you're, you're several feet, say, away from your ideal line, you're going to have to slow the car down even more than the ideal speed for the corner because you're having to compensate to get back down to that line because you're actually having to turn the wheel more than you would have done had yeah. you not induced understeer in the first place. So that's the fix. It's yeah. better off if you don't cause it in the first place, i.e. remember it for the next lap. But I have sort of found, especially on the exits of corners, is that I can, without having to lift out of my exit, open the steering up a little bit, just get it working and then sensing that it's working and then almost having another bite and like, is that, is that stupid? Because I've sometimes found on, on corners, like if I just take two or three nibbles at it, I can, I can just hold on and keep my, my, my pedal pinned. Yeah. So what you're talking about there, reducing that steering angle, you're able to do that because you've applied too much initially. So all you're doing, you're not actually really reducing it less than you need to for the corner. You're just bringing it back to the correct oh, amount right, okay. yeah. and then trying again a little bit, which is a good thing. It's, it's, it basically means you're, you're looking for time. You're looking to, you're trying to get quicker and you're seeing if you can get away with a bit more. Maybe I can just turn a bit more and, and you're working out from those attempts, whether or not that's correct. And you, you, it, if you were to have practiced that particular corner, say a lot of times, you'd find yourself having to do less of that, you know, turning a little bit too much then reducing the lock to, to fix right. the understeer. And you'd just be on, just on the correct limit. But yeah, so you're right. You will have this sensation of reducing the steering back to the right amount. But what you're not doing is reducing it less than you need to to <laughs> actually navigate the corner. Um, and you're, we've mentioned force feedback wheels. One easy way to work out whether or not you're doing this pretty much correctly is the steering should be held at the point at which it feels heaviest. When the steering is heaviest in your hands in that corner, that, that's where it's gripping the most. That ah. means it's generating the most rotation. If you turn past that, it'll go slightly light. And, and then that is your moment of understeer. And the higher end wheel you have, the more expensive generally, the more powerful your force feedback is, the easier it is to feel that because it's just being told to you in a more obvious way. 
you're not having to feel a, a, a lighter weight in your hand. So if it's if it's too open, it's going to feel light because I'm not asking the tires to do work and grip. Yep. And if I go past it and I'm oversteering, then it goes light again. So and this is the feeling that I've got on the exits. This is the one that stuck with me from you. Is yeah, if I'm on the power on the exit uh, and I feel like I'm understeering, when I do go and open it up, you've put it into words. What I feel is I feel the wheel get heavier and that's my sign to me that I've got grip back. And then if I try my luck and, and put more steering lock on and it goes light, that's that I've gone too far again. That's now that's a really nice thing to put into our heads to, to feel you're looking for the weight through the corner. And a lot of people will be doing this without ever having realized that was what they were doing. It's just, <laughs> yeah. And when you look back at it, you think, Oh yeah, I, I do use that kind of extra weight as a bit of a marker for, for the the tires having gripped back up again. I just never really necessarily thought about it like that. And when you mentioned on the exits, trying to get the wheel straight, it's a very, very common thing for people to, in all, in all sorts of track driving, um, to hang on to the steering lock longer yes. than they need. So at the very point where you should be straightening the wheel and like looking down the next straight and having the wheel as straight as you can possibly get away with at that point, people quite often, if they have been understeering through the corner with the front wheel slightly scrubbing, they won't realize it until a little bit too late and they'll just hang on to the lock. And if you were to pause a video, for example, yeah. and look at what the situation was, yeah. and I've done this a lot in, in real world coaching, looking back at the videos, you can say, look, where are you telling the car to go? You're, you're pointing it off to the inside on the grass, but where you want to go is straight ahead. So just pay attention to that. And as the track straightens up in front of you, straighten the wheel in conjunction with that. Don't, don't wait until you're on the straight and then suddenly go straight with the wheel you know, match the the direction that you're telling the steering wheel to point in to yeah. the direction you actually want to go at that point. So a seriously like slow corner, you're waiting forever to get back on the power. I'm I'm actively telling myself now is is to match the acceleration to the opening up of the steering wheel. So like as I'm getting on the power, you've got that moment where if you don't hurry up and open the steering, the back end's gonna gonna spin round. Um whereas if you leave it too steady, as uh, my my instinct was basically to wait until I was pointing at the exit point and then ease the power on as if I was coming out of like a Tesco supermarket. But you really need to match those two to, to maximize the speed. Yeah, what you were doing there is actually a really great way for a complete beginner to, to get used to driving on a track without spinning off all the time. But yeah, as you said, the way to do it as you progress, yeah. and this is a very common um, technique used by race instructors, this next thing. Imagine there's a piece of string tied between the steering wheel and the throttle pedal, and you can only get on the throttle. You can only apply power as the steering wheel is being straightened. So you can either have 100% straight steering <laughs> um, and 100% throttle. Oh, sorry, other way around. You can either have 0% steering, so zero steering yeah. angle, and 100% throttle or a mixture of the two, but you can't have more than 100% of, of the total steering. So if and- you're on full lock, you should have zero throttle. Precisely. <laughs> and the more the more throttle you apply, the more you have to ease off. It's amazing how much you have to, well, at my level, to actively think about these. I, I have no racing instinct at all. Like Obviously, you've been karting since you were a kid. You've been racing all your life. A lot of this, it would be easy for you to not know. I know there's racers who are as good as you, as fast as you, and you ask them how, and they they just don't know because it's instinctive. But for someone like me, having those kind of analogies and go right on the exit, you can you have to earn the amount of throttle you put on by opening up the steering angle. That's exactly it. And and, and you're right. A lot of people can be very fast without ever actually thinking in detail about how these things happen because they just learn and it kind of sinks in and it's happening subconsciously. But when you're sitting next to drivers in race cars instructing for a decade. And you're having yeah. to help them go quickly in a very short space of time. You do have to think about 
why has this driver done this certain thing? And, and how can I quickly explain to them to, to do the correct thing so they don't do it again? Uh, so they don't uh, end up staying slow for the full 15 minutes. Well, it's interesting because actually I started this asking you about understeer. What we've actually done is talked about uh, steering angle based steering angle versus speed. So that's fine. It's evolved from from that because on the exit, what we're actually doing is avoiding oversteer a lot of the time and avoiding getting on the back of the gas and spinning out. Yeah, and I just point out that exit, it's not just about the oversteer, it's also understeer. If you're trying to get on the power as early as possible, it just depends on the balance of the particular car you're in. If you want to get on the power as early as possible out of a corner, quite often the problem that you'll have is understeer. It's, it's only a certain situation that will be oversteer. And obviously every front wheel drive car, it's always going to be an understeer problem on the exit. So anyway, yeah, that's good good discussion. That's one of my, one of my pet topics. So a lot of my topics will be... And look, I use all my all my platforms in media and broadcasting to solve my own personal problems. Most of them will be around what my boy is struggling with at any given moment. Um, I was lucky enough to have the lad get a couple of coaching sessions from you in carts. At the moment, with all the lockdown, a lot of the cart tracks aren't open at the moment. So his training is now focused into is focused into sim racing. And I've convinced my wife that that is part of his broader education at homeschooling so there are set times where he can come and do some sim racing at the moment so a lot a lot of the topics will be uh, around what he's struggling with um right uh, let's move on to a listener question then i liked this one from sam watley it's quite a broad one to take this anywhere you like uh, where does i racing translate to real world benefit and where would i racing perhaps let you down um and he okay. also he, he just gives a caveat for you to make sure that you're partner's not listening because obviously i'm sure with your partner you always claim that sim racing is work as a driver you need to constantly be practicing and keeping those skills up she actually understands um how how real that statement is and where it where it starts falling flat (laughs) but i would argue very strongly that sim racing has extremely large benefit for for real life driving and it's multifaceted that it's it would would take a while to explain all the detail of just how important it is, but let's go on some basic yeah. uh, some basic reasons. Learning circuits on a very, very basic um, way, learning which direction the corners go and the more detailed the track is and more accurate the track is on the sim, the more you can then learn from that. And obviously you've done all the real world tracks around the UK and many in Europe as well. How have you found the iRacing tracks? Because I, I don't know, I don't have any experience racing real world tracks. Is it pretty pretty on, pretty spot on? Yeah, they're they're absolutely brilliant. So they're extremely accurate. And I find even more so in virtual reality and VR because you get the the depth and the elevation change sensation that you just don't get on a flat screen. So uh, I find it supremely useful for that. I was very alarmed the first time I did the Charlotte Roval. So it was like an infield course, then outfield. And when you got up onto the banking, I was in VR and I thought, I feel like I'm on a bank and I don't understand how my I don't understand the science behind it but my brain was completely satisfied that I was at like a 15 degree angle on a bank it was amazing yeah I don't understand how it does that but in a way that I've never experienced on screens triple screens big wide projectors I've never felt the elevation change in the way that you really feel it in VR particularly I think if you've already driven the track in real life and your brain goes a little way to filling in the gaps because mm. it knows that this section is down or uphill, for example. So that's the that's the first way sim racing is useful. But then obviously the more accurate each element is, the more accurate your equipment is. So you know, the more realistic um, or the the more 
capable of providing realism, your yeah. pedals, steering wheel, seat setup, all that kind of thing are, the more uh, useful it becomes for practice. Um, muscle memory, learning car setup. Um, I tell you one thing that's been very useful for me racing at the Nürburgring is um, practicing racing around other cars and understanding how certain positioning of your car during battles is going to affect you as a knock-on effect further down the road because obviously you're not racing against ai you're racing against real people and if they're good people they generally drive very much like a good real world race driver would um so that's another really useful area so you don't feel at all that you're disadvantaged from being in your admittedly very good sim rig with a very good um vr headset you don't think you're disadvantaged when you then go to the nordschleifer the the green what do they call it the green hell and then go up against real-world races, you don't feel like you're disadvantaged from, from having spent so much time in the sim? Absolutely the opposite. I feel I feel this extra little bit of confidence having been in the sim, knowing that I'm as prepared as possible. Because although the car I'm driving on the sim might not be the exact same car that I'm driving in real life, particularly in the past few years when I've been racing a front-wheel drive touring car at the Nürburgring and generally driving GT3 cars on, on iRacing around the Nürburgring, a lot of the lessons you can still take across as long as you don't just you know commit to a particular apex speed that you're used to on the sim um that isn't really the way it works it's it's all the uh, all the surrounding benefits of you know knowing which curbs are a little bit more violent looking at the the live delta time and just knowing for a fact without having to try and work it out um retrospectively looking at data in the pit just knowing in real time from the sim that this particular line sacrificing the racing line in a certain area to gain another yeah. area is the fastest way based on a laser scanned version of the track. It's just the geometry of the racing lines in certain sections. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So I think what you're saying is obviously you, you, you can practice and you can train, but it doesn't actually train you for the car you get in. So once you get into the car, you still have to get up to speed in whatever car it is you're going um, and feeling it in the real world, but you're armed with a lot more knowledge than you would have had without it. Yeah, and, and if the car is a similar layout, for example, to the one you're driving, even if it's just even if the car you're driving on iRacing is a very high-powered rear-wheel drive car, and maybe you're racing a slightly less powered rear-wheel drive car in real life, you've built up a, a arsenal of potential problems you've experienced and ways that you rectified that problem, and so you've already done a lot of the fault finding, and you can you can basically shortcut your way to the best way of uh, of fixing that problem in real life whether that be um finding lap time in a particular part of the track or or you know uh, solving a particular handling issue with tweaking the setup there's so many things that you can have already practiced before you get to the real circuit see that's really interesting from like a pro driver point of view um how about like a mug like me Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You, in fact, we, we know each other enough now from from racing that you you have a general understanding of where I where I am. I can get into a cart and be fine, and I'll, I'll be off the top guys, but I'll I'll beat most of the people who are like just turning up to have a go. I'm in that sort of nice mid range, and probably the same in sim racing as well, where I can I, I don't disgrace myself, but we do do a lot of eye racing with a lot of fast guys. There's so many fast guys in our Missed Apex Swarm sessions and when we do our Missed Apex series, it can be a bit discouraging. But I think I'm broadly fine for a dude off the street. Like, I can physically drive around in the Formula Renault 2.0 and I can go wheel-to-wheel with people. I can set a lap time. I might be two seconds off the fastest guys. How would, how would that translate if I got into a real Formula Renault 2.0 around, say, um, Silverstone? So we've been doing the Silverstone track I feel very comfortable around there in my gear, in my VR, and my... What wheelbase have I got? A T300? You've got a T300. Thrustmaster T300. And it's belt-driven, that one, isn't it? So you can get so you get some force feedback that is gear-driven. That's the, the cheaper wheels. So I came up from the Logitech G29 was the last one I had. Um, I've now got this one, belt-driven. And then the next step up is what you've got, which is a direct drive where the motor is directly um, affecting the wheel in your hands. So with the T300, you've known that. You've got had that wheel before. That does give you a, a nice weighty feeling. Um, I've got uh, load cell pedals, uh, fresh, freshly installed, but very good. So I'm, it feels like I'm hitting a brick wall with a brake pedal. And I'm in, in a, a dedicated seat. I'm not, I'm not on a desk where you're in a, like a swivel chair. And I did it for, for about a year where every time you press the brake, the, pe- the chair goes back as well. I'm now in a play seat as well, which is probably an entry-level um, sitting rig. So from that kind of setup, am I in any way at all prepared to get in a Formula Renault 2.0 and drive around Silverstone? You're as prepared as you can be having not done it for real. So as I mentioned earlier, if you've already driven the track, for example, or if you've already driven a particular car, then your brain can help fill in the blanks that, that you yeah. might be missing in the sim. The way around you're doing it, having say you, you've never driven a, a real life single seater and you practice that on the on iRacing on your on your simulator at home, and then you go and drive the real car, all the areas that it's possible to have had a benefit, you're going to have that. So for example, knowing which way the next corner goes. And yeah. as we were mentioning before, if the track is accurately mapped, which it will be on iRacing, um, especially if it's been updated that track recently, knowing where to place the car on each corner, provided you've done enough practice, knowing which curbs to avoid all that kind of thing. And the general dynamics of the car, as in it's a rear-wheel drive, stiff car, that kind of thing. The areas you won't be prepared for are all the things your sim can't show you, can't can't get across to you, the physicality of it. Particularly, obviously, with a, a belt-driven wheel, you know, a non-direct drive wheel, you're not getting real-life levels of steering feedback. So that's right. one thing. So the you physicality your- of turning the wheel, my steering wheel pretty much dialed up to exactly how it would be in real life. It's like a one-to-one scale. So I'm having to put as much steering effort in 
as I would do in the real car. So, so this um, steering effort from my belt-driven wheel, it's a lot easier for me to turn the wheels through the corner. And, and there's nothing I can do with that belt-driven wheel to crank it up. That's just a limitation. Exactly. It has a maximum uh, number of newton meters it can provide as force to you, and and a direct drive wheel generally has much higher than that. I mean, how, how, simulate how far are we off? Because I have to say, for the Missed Apex tournaments, which are all evening, three or three races plus a fun race... I, I take that seriously. I'm in a shed with aircon on because I get so hot and sweaty and I'm in PE kit. So I, I feel that as like a physical event. Um, I'm not unfit and I'm, I'm reasonably strong in the upper body. Uh, is, is, it, is that going to be jarring the amount of physicality? Like I would want to train for that. The faster the car is that you're talking about in real life, the more that is a problem. And particularly a single seater uh, on slick tires, even a Formula Renault, which is you know reasonably entry level single seater, uh, that's the thing that would be most starkly different when you go from your practice on the sim to doing it in real life. Would be just the assault on on you in terms of g force. That's what you're. So although mm. you're you're getting you know maybe sweaty and and hot driving on the sim as i do as well and as i used to do before i had ex- expensive um powerful wheels and that kind of thing um a lot of that is is the pressure and the mental stress of the concentration of doing it it's uh, not really that you're having to put a lot of effort into turning the wheels it's that you're putting a lot of effort into getting it right and, and doing it correctly it's a lot of light reps it's a lot of light reps yeah exactly yeah. and so maybe i don't know how many newton meters your wheel is putting out at peak maybe five or six newton meters i'm guessing on that and it's more like 20 um as a peak in in real life so it's that kind of difference plus you're fighting against the g-force of your head being pushed very violently side to side which you're not you know you're not having to hold your head up on the sim you're not even wearing a helmet you're not right. even having to hold the helmet up vr any vr headset it's that's that's a good point actually vr is certainly a way of feeling like you're putting you know pulling the helmet on um, yeah. But yeah, the weight, the weight's not the same as it. So somebody those has, are the things that would be different. Somebody has got to do a racing helmet that the VR slots into the front of. So like you pull the helmet on and then you're in a VR world. That's got to be coming soon. That would be amazing. It, it would get very hot and sweaty. Doesn't matter. I would do it. I would do it. I would stream it. I would take that hit just with the coolness of it and like the full immersion of it. Um, so... I only have me as a point of reference for physicality. Uh, pretty good at lifting stuff up and down. Probably lacking in core strength. Would that would that affect me then in the G force trying to hold myself in a car? I know, I know you're in a seat or whatever, but you still kind of have to hold yourself as you're going through a corner. Yeah, absolutely. So it it totally depends on how long you're planning to be in that car. But just as a bit of a a real life example, um, I was doing some testing in the the BRDC um, Formula Four car maybe four years ago. Oh, yeah, 2016, I think it was. Um, as some development testing, um, you know, just some new parts when I was working at Bedford Autodrome. And I did, uh, well, it was, it was really a whole day of testing, but um, broken up into 15-minute sessions. And, and I was a pretty fit, younger than I am now guy who was in race cars all day. So experiencing the G-Force, you know, my neck being thrown around, instructing people in, in various race cars, um, admittedly not going as quick as people would be driving a Formula 4 car in a race, but certainly going through the G-Force on a track all day. And I tested this car and my... My arms could not cope by probably lunchtime, couldn't cope with full speed runs for more than two or three laps. My neck was giving out, my wow. arms were giving out. And that's that's someone who is in race cars a lot and has, has done quite a lot of car racing and karting. So, so um, that is the similar model of car that W Series use, right? The, uh, roughly equivalent to Formula 4. So, you know, the arguments are always about physicality around women racing. The women that are driving in W Series then, they're requiring 
a lot of physicality to compete in that series. Absolutely. And most of it, the majority of it, or certainly the last part comes from being race fit by doing the racing or doing the testing. So there's no substitute, you know, for actually going out and doing a few hours practice. And in my example, if I'd gone and done the same thing three days later, I'd have coped with it much better. And it's purely because I don't race single seaters and I didn't at the time um, regularly. So, but yes, it's extremely physical, certainly for someone off the street coming in and just having a go yeah. unless you're driving <laughs> slow. If you're driving slow, obviously the G-force yeah. is much less, but if you're trying to go at a fast pace and you're capable of of navigating the thing around in terms of your skill, the thing which will then hold you back is the is the physical side. So what's the advantage to you with your direct drive wheel? You're just making it harder for yourself. You're introducing a physicality that I don't need when I'm with my steering wheel here and less so for a, a Logitech G29 or whatever. So why? Why have you got your direct drive wheel? It's a really good question. Um, and on the surface, it does just seem like you're just making it harder for yourself. But what you're actually doing is giving the giving your equipment more capability to give you more information. So whereas your your wheel would be saturated in the information it's trying to give you once it gets to, say, we're saying, for example, five newton meters of force through the wheel in the middle of a corner. Um, if, if, it, if the um, sim itself is trying to tell your wheel more information than that, it can't it can't provide that to you in terms of the weight changing because it's already yeah. on the limit of what it can do. So you don't get any fidelity um, through the corner after a certain point. Exactly. I can still feel, whilst I'm on the limit in a fast corner, for example, I can still feel the bumps that are happening through there. If there's a very slight loss of stability, I can feel the change in weight through the steering wheel because the wheel isn't saturated with the maximum force it can provide to you. Um, any spikes, say, say it's as an example, say it's 12 Newton meters of force being applied through the wheel whilst I'm holding it steady in a fast corner. If it needs to tell me momentarily, say someone taps the side of you or you hit a curb or a bump or something, and it needs to spike up to 17 Newton meters it's momentarily done. to yeah. give you that information, it can. Um, so it's that kind of thing. That's that's the reason it, it's worthwhile having it. So not worthwhile for me, perhaps. Uh, two things. Uh, one was at the end of a practice race, I thought it'd be hilarious to try and clear a grandstand. So I just, I, I tried to pick a one. Of, these, these are all friends that we were racing with. So I picked one person to just drive into to try and launch myself into the grandstand. Turns out that person had a direct drive wheel. He was very unhappy because it hurt his wrists. It actually physically hurt his wrists, me crashing into him. I have had to be extremely careful by comparison to, to what I used to do after races around other cars since i've had the direct drive wheel because although you can change some settings to make it safer um there's always the risk that it's going to if you you know there's things like hands off control where the wheel will sense if your hands are off and then it won't allow yeah. certain amounts of, yeah, yeah. of talk to be applied um there's always the danger that that might happen at a time where you don't want it to so generally i turn all those safety filters off so it means if you crash, the wheel is going to respond in the same way as it would in real life. And, and as you probably know, if you're going to crash into a concrete wall or, or any any object in a real life race car, you get your hands off the steering wheel immediately so that you don't break your wrists when you crash. And and it's that very same thing. I have done myself some reasonably long-term injuries through my wheel where I haven't been able to race on the sim for a couple of weeks because I've you know stretched or torn ligaments, that kind of thing in my hands. So, mm. I, and I've also been in a situation where someone's crashed into me potentially unexpectedly, a bit like this situation yeah. you're talking about. And I've got pretty angry at the person because they don't realize that that's applied a heck of a lot of force through the wheel and, and hurt me. This person got angry to the level that they then were like, okay, sorry about that. Um, but I, I can see where the anger came from. I just, I had no idea that there was people out there who were risking injury during sim racing. So that's amazing. Uh, I, I'm not there yet. I'm probably not at the level where 
uh, I can use all that in extra information yet. Uh, plus, uh, our friend got a sixteen hundred pound direct drive wheel. Was very excited with it. He's very happy with it. He was already very fast. Gained two tenths. I know. And we're sitting there going, "Geez, eight hundred quid a tenth? Maybe that's not. I don't quite need that level of of kit yet." Yeah, I'd agree. And I was in a similar position to that. It was never going to be a massive gain, but what you do gain is consistency and you get those tents all the time. And when you're fighting for tents and hundreds, then a couple of tents is worth it if you can afford it. And the other thing, I guess, is that I've not really been paying much attention to my force feedback settings because it's felt immersive. I've been feeling the weight of the wheel and I've not really changed it since I first got it. I just found a setting that worked. So now I think I'm going to I'm going to maximize how to I'm going to maximize the force feedback I get from that to try and get a bit of extra fidelity. Hey, this has been a decent pilot, Brad, and I think there's a there's a thousand topics you can cover in iRacing. I mean, just there, if we were staying on the call for longer, I would be tempted to go, OK, well, let's sit for five minutes and talk about the best force feedback settings uh, let's talk for a minute about, you know, which types of wheel we prefer uh, and the various benefits of each each kind of wheel. So I think I like the format where we're going to let anybody who's listening in uh, guide our subjects and topics with a listener question in the second half. And then the first half, I will just pick the topics that, that actually we're talking about within our sim racing community as well. And uh, Brad, bone to pick. Why have you not been racing with us in the Mist Apex Swarm? We've not seen you. Yeah, so a couple of reasons. So the Swarm is uh, in the Formula 3s, isn't it? You guys tend to yeah. all club together and race Formula well, 3. we started in the Formula Renault 2.0. We've now moved up to the Formula 3, yeah. So although I really like that car, and I think it's one of the better cars in iRacing, um, I'm on a slightly different mission to most of you guys. So my personal aim in iRacing is to compete in the big ticket events, the big endurance events, which is kind of the things I like in, in the real world as well. Um, things like the Le Mans 24 hours, Nürburgring 24 hours, Daytona 24 hours, these, these big events and do that in the top split, which is extremely hard to get a place in. It's all based on the average I rating of your team. And you can't know what that rating is going to be, what the required rating to get your team up into the highest split is going to be until everybody's entered immediately before the race. So all you can do is have the highest possible I rating to give your team the best chance of being one of those lucky few who have the highest average to make it into those big events. Racing in the swarms um, in the Formula 3s is something which is potentially dangerous for my eye rating yeah. because it's a very popular car. There's a lot of very fast and aggressive people yep. that race in that. And all it takes is for someone who doesn't care as much about their rating as you, who's very fast and aggressive, to misjudge a move, crash into you. And before you know it, you've lost, certainly in my position with my rating, uh, a DNF in a race or even a, a, top, a out of the top 10 finish harms my rating uh, in a big way. Um, I had a, an equipment issue last week um, where something, a small part on uh, my pedals broke, um, which is now fixed, but that meant I then came 20th in the race and I lost about a week and a half's worth of, of, of eye rating improvement. Do you remember I how w- much it was? It was 168 oh. eye rating. I lost one race. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still not back to where I was before. So the reason I don't race in those swarms is because I'm quite tactical about where I'm racing at the moment, because I've got a different aim. I'm trying to, put myself in a position to race with the some top teams yeah. um, in some of the big events because oh, they're the man. things I really enjoy, the that, big broadcast events. That's such a big draw. When I first started in the F3, I had enough I-rating from the Formula Renault 2.0 to put me in the top splits. I am I have now correctly moved down the splits and, and I'm much happier racing in split three or four whilst I improve. But um, I was jumping into practice sessions 
And you've got like Roman Grosjean was there before his crash. Uh, I think Fernando Alonso pops into those. Carlos Sainz, a lot of the W Series drivers. Um, Jake Oliver, um, Formula 3 driver. I've got the name wrong, haven't I? Jake Dennis. Yeah, Formula 3 and... Um, Formula E this year. Formula E, Formula BMW. E driver as well. Such a thrill. And that's something else I love about um, iRacing as well. It's a thrill to be in those top splits and and hang out with the very top racers. So I completely get that. Roman Grosjean nearly lapped me. I held him off. He was two seconds from lapping me around into Lagos. But iRacing, that's another big, massive topic we could go into. So I propose we sit down next week and do it all over again. Uh, you can find Brad uh, at Bradley Philpot on twitter check out his uh, youtube video which is still called brad dude 2k that is still the name of your youtube channel as much as you don't like it that's the name of it yeah or just type my name just bradley philpott on youtube and I'm, i'll be streaming all the um, all the big races i'm doing soon so next one coming up first round of the digital nurburgring nurburgring langstrecken series next week Are you you stream yourself and your pov pov and you racing do you as well Yes. So although these events will have the official broadcast where you've got the commentators and, and like the TV cameras, yeah. I'll also be streaming um, from my cockpit as well with all different Super cameras. Duper. All right, let's get out of here. A successful pilot. Oh, let's get out of here. A successful pilot, I think, of Missed Apex iRacing. You can follow me at Spanners Ready, our F1 podcast at Missed Apex F1. And tune in and join us for our live chats on a Sunday from 8pm by searching for Missed Apex podcast on YouTube. Guys, I hope we did it. Did we make me wiser, happier, faster? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.